this lady asked me, she goes, what are you doing out on a drizzly night like this? I said, I got to go see our last uh, thing on Romans. Yes, <laughs> I got is. to go to church. And she said, it must be a really good church. I said, it is. Amen, amen, good. Talk about us. They always give us good reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Romans chapter 15, verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written before time were written for your learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolations grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. You may be with one mind in one mouth, glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just stop right here and remind you that he's talking to the church and not an individual. He's talking to the church. He said the church should be one mind and one mouth. That means we all are supposed to be saying the same thing. We shouldn't have different agendas, different goals, different directions. We should all be saying the same thing and heading in the same direction. One mind and one mouth. Bringing unity is what we're talking about. Glorify God, even the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of circum, circum, uh, circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the Father, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he said, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people, and again praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and loud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope filled you with all joy and peace, in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me to God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, though mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Iconium I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel, whether Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, 
and they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now having no more place in this part, and having a great desire of these many years to come to you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way toward you, thitherward by you. At first I be somewhat filled with your company, but now I go to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. If it has pleased them of Macedonia and Acacia to make of the certain contributions of the poor saints which were at Jerusalem, it has pleased them verily and their, their debtors they are, for the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things. Their duty is also to minister to them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come to you into Spain. I am sure that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, of the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with them in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem might be acceptable of the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So I wanted to point out a couple of things that Paul brings out in the book of uh, Romans chapter 15. As you see here that he has in his mind to go to Spain. He's planning on going to Spain. So at this point, he has to, he's going to Jerusalem, but he does not know he's going to be arrested. He has, has no knowledge of that yet. But we know when he got to Jerusalem that he was arrested, and then he was uh, on his journey to Rome. But it is believed in the church history. Yes, ma'am. Uh, let's pray for Josh. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray the blood of Jesus over Josh, turn God. Father, we ask you to meet him in that ER. We plead the blood of Jesus over his body, rebuking any infections, God, that could be causing these problems. Father, you know what the root cause of it is. We speak to that root cause, whatever it is, and we command it to leave his body. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that by your stripes we are healed. And Josh is healed. And we thank you, Lord, for your healing and anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Paul had on his mind to go to Spain. It's believed in church history. It's not written in scripture. But it's believed that at one point in Rome, that he was actually released from the Roman prison and that he did travel to Spain. But then he got arrested a second time and went back into Rome and then beheaded. That's been believed in the church history and tradition, but there's been no documental proof of it, um, but it's always been believed. So we know that it had in his heart to go. It was always in his heart to go to Spain. Whether he actually went, I don't know, but there's speculation that maybe he did. So I thought that was, that was very important um, to point out. There's so many other things that, you know, you could look at. You know, I like how he starts off in verse 1. 
We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. And in the Amplified Bible, it says it this way. Now we who are strong in our convictions and faith ought to patiently put up with the weakness. I like that, put up with the weakness of those who are not strong and not just please ourselves. You know, some of us are strong in faith, some of us are weak in faith. Some of us are strong in, in knowledge of the Bible, some of us are weak in knowledge of the Bible. But those that are strong should be patient and wait for those who are weak to come up. That's what he's saying. Amen? Amen. So some good stuff there. How many of you have the Bible app on your phone? You got your little smartphones, you got a little Bible app? Now, one of the things, one of the little features on the Bible app, this is why I'm bringing this up tonight, because chapter 16, it's got a lot of crazy names in there. They didn't name everybody Bill, George, and Henry back in them days, okay? They got these fancy names, and a lot of them are Hebrew names, and, and probably not a whole lot of us could pronounce all them names. So here's what I do. When I run across a name in the Bible, or maybe a city in the Bible, or something that looks odd to me, and I'm not sure how you pronounce it. A lot of times I go to my Bible app and I'll let it read to me. And so some of the things I learned to pronounce, I actually learned through the Bible app. Now you can also go on Google and you can say, how do you pronounce this, and then type it in. And there's a whole pronunciation website that'll come up and it'll go over and over with you how you pronounce it something. Um, but I want you to look at chapter 16. I'm gonna see if I can get this to play over the system. There we go. So look at chapter 16. We'll finish it up with him. That he receive her in the Lord as becometh sense, and that he assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Salute Apellus, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Asyncritus, Legan, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philologus and Julia, Narius and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. 
Oh, I'm sorry, somebody's trying to call me. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsman, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, my host, and of the whole church, saluted you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluted you, and Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith, to God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. That's not the King James version, is it? Paul's mm -hmm. first letter. Yeah, that was the King. That was King James. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, the Bible app. It's a wonderful little device if you use it right. They say it goes read to you. Now, in today's time, we have no excuses. In the modern day age that you and I are living in, no excuses on understanding the Bible or reading the Bible or hearing the Bible. I'm telling you, there's going to be generations that rise up in judgment against this generation because of all this technology we have. And yet, and yet, we are the most uneducated generation when it comes to the Bible. We have all this technology. People used to memorize the Bible. They used to memorize scriptures. They don't do it anymore. They don't do it anymore. So there's a lot of good things in here. And then you can see all these crazy names why I wanted him to, <laughs> wanted him to read it instead of me. But verse 1, Verse 1, I commended to you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, uh, which is at, like I guess century, it's uh, in Greek. So Phoebe, remember Phoebe? Remember we talked about Phoebe in the very first chapter of Romans? And we, and we talked about her, um, you remember? Delivering the letter. Yeah, she, she delivered the letter, absolutely. I uh, Google today. I was curious. I've all, I've been ever since we started talking about Phoebe. I was curious how far she traveled. And um, anyway, she came from a little place in Greece, and uh, and that's the name of the of the place it says she's at. And I Google I put it in here to Rome to Italy, Rome, Italy. Anyways, it was seven hundred and ten miles. She traveled 710 miles with this letter to take to the church in Rome. Now, as you can see, from, from where she was at in Greece, there was a time period that she had to be on a boat because she had to go across the ocean to get to what they call the boot part of Italy. If she went that route, the closest route for her would have been going to the boot part of Italy, the heel, the heel part. Because, you know, Italy looks like a cowboy boot, you know, look at Italy. Uh, but the, the heel part is where she would have landed somewhere in there and then traveled all the way up to, up to Rome. But she traveled 710 miles on foot, okay? Not a car, not an airplane. Got on that little boat for that time, got on the ship for a short time, got back on land, 
you know, if she had money, if she had money, then she might have got a horse and carriage or some kind of animal and carriage. But that was about as fast as they went. You know, I don't know how fast a horse and carriage goes. I would think no more than 20 miles an hour, if that. That's probably that's probably moving on the horse and carriage. Yeah, yeah. Think, wow. <laughs> wow, yeah. But, but we don't know her age. We don't know her age. All right. Maybe she was a little young girl, 20, 20 years old, full of energy. Boy, it didn't mean nothing to her. She, was, she loved camping and she loved hiking. So it was like, wow, what a trip. Let's go. Well, what if she was 50? What if she was 70? We don't know. We don't know her age. But she, she's the one that uh, carried, the, carried the letter. So this is such an important part. Um, such an important part, mentioning her. And I like how Paul, he always mentioned so many people. And you see Paul mentioned a lot of women in here, which is against the custom of the time when women did not get recognition, but they did in the church. So the church was, was groundbreaking for that time period. So, all right, Miss Angel, can you show us that thing on the screen up there? This will be the last episode of part two of Romans. We're here at the Trey Pompane, which translated means three fountains. This is where they believe Paul was, was executed. Supposedly, when Paul was beheaded, his head bounced three times, symbolized by the three fountains that are now covered up with these altars. Paul's final act in Rome was to seal by his death the gospel he had preached with his life. So it's a fitting place for us to end our study of Paul's letter to the Romans. Isn't that better than the TV? bigger. In chapters 15 and 16, the final two chapters of this book, Paul discusses what's ahead for him, and then he gives some farewell greetings to everybody. And you may be tempted just to skim through all this as, as personal housekeeping issues, but there's actually a lot in here that we can learn from. In telling the Romans where he is headed next, Paul introduces us to two factors that can help you and me discern what, what God wants from our lives. Do you remember that concept we, we discussed in chapter 12 when we were looking at Paul's discussion of the spiritual gifts? We said not everything that comes from heaven has your name on it, but something does. And it's your job to figure that out and then get after it. Romans 15 shows you how to figure that out. There are two questions that Romans 15 teaches us to ask when we are seeking to discover God's will for our lives. The first is, where is the spirit of God moving in my life? I want you to notice the extremely personal way that Paul talks about his ministry in these verses. Verse 15, the grace given to me by God for ministry. Verse 16, my offering to God. Verse 17, my work for God. Verse 18, what Christ has accomplished through me. Verse 19, I have fulfilled the ministry given to me. Verse 20, my ambition or my personal aim. Paul felt like a personal assignment had been given to him specifically. There were lots of things to do in the kingdom of God, lots of churches to lead, needs to take care of, um, regions to reach. But Paul's personal commission was to preach Christ in places to the Gentiles where Christ's name had never been heard. Look at what he says in verse 19. He says, from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Verse 23, I no longer have any room for work in these regions. 
Now, I don't want the, the incredible thing that Paul just said to be lost on you. If here is that region on a map. Do you see how big that is? That region contained 37 major cities plus hundreds and hundreds of smaller villages. It had a combined population of over 500,000 people. There were at most a dozen churches there with a combined total of around 500 members. 500 believers out of half a million? And Paul says, yeah, my work there is done. How on earth could he say that? Were all those Christians mature? Were all the justice issues addressed? And hardly. I mean, Rome was so anti-gospel that Paul would eventually be executed right here for following Jesus. Rome had all kinds of justice issues. But Paul was called to take Christ to places where he'd never been named. And so he said, my work here is done. That particular calling became for Paul a, a compass, a north star for his decisions. So Paul says to the Romans in these verses, I couldn't come to you before, but now I can because you are en route to Spain where they've never heard. And that's who God has called me to focus on, those that have never heard. Well, see, just as with Paul, God has something specific in his kingdom for you to focus on. You see, there's simply no way for one person to be responsible for everything in the mission of God. Early in my Christian life, and I'm not sure if this was because of my personality or the kinds of sermons that I heard, but I thought I was responsible for everything. I would hear a message about some good work, poverty relief, or ministering to the homeless, taking care of foster children, overseas missions, teaching, apologetics, leading public worship, mercy work. And I thought I was supposed to give myself to all of those things. And as Christians, we should care about all of them. But there's just no way that any one person can take on all of those things as a, as a life calling. But hear this. Something does have your name on it. And you have to figure out what that is and get after it. You say, well, J.D., how do I know what that thing is? Well, you typically find out, like Paul did, through prayer, through engagement in ministry and involvement in, in the local church. God just starts putting something on your heart and, and your passion for it grows. I think of the example of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, whose heart grew heavier and heavier for the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. When you're walking with the Spirit, that's going to happen to you about something. It happened to Paul regarding the, the Gentiles who had never heard. There is something about which you were supposed to say, this is my work for God. This is my offering, my ministry. Maybe God's calling you to start a small group in your apartment complex. Maybe you got a burden for, for people in a particular career field or who live in a, in a particular part of your city. Maybe you've been, been watching the news and God has laid the growing refugee population on your heart. Maybe you're sensing that your family should take a step towards, towards fostering or adoption. Or maybe, just maybe, like Paul, God is calling you to break ground for the kingdom in a, in a new place, a hard place, a place where Christ has not previously been known. So factor number one in figuring out the call of God on your life is asking, where is the Spirit of God moving in my life? Factor two, though, is even more significant, and that is, what is the Word of God saying to the church? I, I say even more significantly because, because more important to Paul than what the Spirit said in his heart was what the Word of God said to everybody. In verse 20, when Paul explains why he's doing what he's doing, look at how he justifies it. Verse 20. My ambition is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. For, verse 21, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. In other words, the reason I'm doing this is because this is what God said in his word must happen. Here's what's surprising about that to me. Do you remember how Paul was called? 
Paul was on his way to Damascus when, when God knocked him down, blinded him with light, and then appeared to him in a vision and said, Paul, take my message to the Gentiles. If that had happened to me, and I were asked to explain why I was doing what I was doing, this is always where I would point. But friend, in this whole chapter, Paul never even brings up that Damascus Road experience. Instead, he anchors his calling. He justifies it in what God said in the Bible. Why? Because he's trying to show us that the most significant factor in determining the will of God in our lives is not what we feel, but what the Word of God says. In fact, write this down. You will never properly discern what the Spirit of God is saying to you until you know what the Word of God says to everybody. Paul quotes from three other places in the Old Testament to justify what he's doing. For as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That's a quote from Deuteronomy. Verse 10, and again it is said, rejoice, old Gentiles, with his people. That's a quote from the Psalms. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. In him will the Gentiles hope. That's another quote from Isaiah. Here's what's significant about that. The Jewish people divided the Old Testament into three major sections, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. Paul quotes from all three of them to justify his calling. It's as if he's saying all of the Old Testament is organized around this truth that people who have never heard must hear. If God organized his Bible around that theme, why wouldn't I organize my life around it as well? You will never discern what the Spirit's mission is for you personally until you understand what his mission is for the church globally. Your personal mission will be a part of his, of his bigger mission, so you have to understand the whole to see how, how your life fits into it. You see, when it comes to the will of God, we often function like narcissists. It's all about me and my life and reaching my potential and finding my happiness. We're all into Enneagrams, personality profiles, strengths finders, or whatever. Now, can those things be useful? Of course. I'm an Enneagram 8, ENTJ type D, so I know all those things. But before those things are relevant, we have to understand what God is doing in the world, like Paul did, and then conform our lives to that. The Old Testament scholar Christopher J.H. Wright says, we often ask, where does God fit into the story of my life? When the real question is, where does my little life fit into the great story of God's mission? Paul says, God's main purpose in the world, cover to cover in the Bible, and repeated in the great commission that Jesus gave, is that people who have never heard the gospel have a chance to hear. We talked about this in our study of chapter 10. The Joshua Project reports that today there are still 7,398 what they call unreached people groups that make up 3.2 billion people on our planet. Unreached means that as it stands right now, there is no legitimate way that somebody there can hear the gospel before they die. No one is there focused on reaching them. There are no churches there. Often there's not even a copy of the Bible in their language. Less than 10% of all missionary work is done among these people who live mostly in North Africa, the Middle East, and, and Asia. Listen to this. Over 95% of all the money given in Christ's name is spent to do ministry in places where there are churches on literally every corner. I know that God has not called every single one of us to focus our lives on going overseas. But surely God is calling a lot more of us than who are going I'm grateful for everybody who steps forward for any kind of ministry. But why are there so few willing to go where Christ has not been named? Why would God leave so many of us here in places of so much access when there's so many over there with no access at all? Maybe right now you sense, 
think that's me. I'm supposed to take him where he's never been named. See, that's been the whole point of Paul's letter to the Romans. Jesus wants the whole world to hear the gospel and have a chance to respond. You should talk to your church and they can connect you to one of the many agencies whose mission it is to get the gospel to those unreached places. Now, Paul ends this amazing letter with a bunch of personal greetings. In chapter 16, he lists out 26 people he gives a shout out to. And at first, it looks like a random group of names. We don't know much about these people, right? but don't just pass over these as a random list of strange names. Because these names reveal two very important things about the gospel. First, these names show you that the community that the gospel created was, was diverse. I say that because some of the names in this list are Jewish, some are Gentile, some have Middle Eastern origin, some Asian, some European. Paul wants us to see that the early church consisted of both Jew and Gentile. Having Jew and Gentile together in one church gave rise to all kinds of cultural and political problems, which we've seen Paul had to deal with in Romans. And sometimes I wonder, wouldn't it have just been easier to plant two separate congregations, Jews over here and Gentiles over there? Probably, just like it's easier today to go to a church where everybody's from the same race or same socioeconomic background. You see, Paul knew that having believers from different backgrounds live together in unity was an important gospel witness and is what Jesus wanted. Also, of the 26 names listed, at least eight of them are women. And Paul's inclusion of women for shout-outs is very intentional. Both Rome and Jerusalem were very male-dominated societies. Paul not only calls these women by name, he refers to them as co-laborers. Through the gospel, God has created a, a new community, a community where distinctions of superiority based on race or class or gender no longer apply. Second, and maybe this is even more important, these names show us that the main body of the early church consisted of ordinary people. We think of the early church as a bunch of superheroes. They weren't. They were just ordinary people filled with an extraordinary spirit, excited about an extraordinary gospel. And because they gave themselves fully to that gospel, even to the point of death, they changed the world. You and I are here in part because of them. God wants to use us to change the world in the future, just like he used them. We're just ordinary people like they were, but we have access to the same extraordinary gospel and the same extraordinary spirit fills our hearts. So go, use your life to take this message to those who have yet to hear it. If we could look forward into the future several hundred years, let there be somebody else who's gathered to learn about the gospel because you gave yourself to the gospel like these early Roman Christians did. This gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Reading Romans is supposed to feel like a spiritual tornado. It pulls you into the glories of the gospel only to thrust you back out in witness to the world. Will we be as committed to this gospel as they were, willing, like the Apostle Paul himself, to lay down our lives so that others can hear it. All right. So he's at the very place where Paul was beheaded and talked about the three fountains because Paul's head bounced three times after he's beheaded. Talking about dedication. How many of us would be willing to pay that kind of price for the gospel? We'll lay our head down on the chopping block. But that man raised that axe. See, Paul knew 
But his death was not the end. He knew he would continue to live without that body. Amen? We're going to continue to live without that body. He said that in Corinthians. Huh? He said that in Corinthians. He said between us. That's right. Going to be with Jesus or to stay here. That's right. It's better, better to be the absent from his body and be present with the Lord. That's exactly what we have to stay in mind of and remember. You know, there may come a day right here in America. You know, I think about what's going on in Israel right now and how that attack. You know, they went into Israel and began to attack the citizens. You know, what got me is they're not even attacking the military. They're just attacking the citizens. And you think about Russia invading Ukraine. And they did the same thing. You know, shooting at civilians and blowing up apartment buildings instead of military bases. And here we are in America. We lived this secured life all these years, you know. And we had the privilege of going to church. But yet so many people choose not to go to church. But there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day when those people who chose not to go to church, they're going to choose to go to church. It's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. But um, Miss Angel, if you can go to Acts, not the trailer, if you can go to the first episode, we're going to go ahead and read um, Acts chapter 1 while you're loading that up. So don't don't play it until I tell you, okay? Let me just tell you something about Paul. That him and the women, some of the stuff he was reading there, you would think he wouldn't let a woman say one word. So he talked about in the church. I'm not saying that, then you know, you know he didn't need to be covered all kinds of stuff. Yeah. He's working with women like nobody thinks. Yeah. Turn around. Well, you got to understand everything Paul was saying. You know, at the time in the Corinthian church, the women were upset in the service so much they couldn't have church. That's because they sat on the other side, men sat on one side, women sat on the other, and they'd be having yeah. a conversation with their husbands. So finally he told them, you know, ask your husbands at home, have a conversation at home, because it disturbs the church. But people took it out of context, so, you know, and, uh, you know, think that women need to be silent in the church, and Women can't, can't preach or minister in the church and all that. You can clearly see the last chapter in Romans. I mean, he was applauding the women, talking about the church in their homes. And, and he goes on and acts and does the same thing. You see it. So, yeah, you got to know the whole content. I know the women in this church over the years have been very faithful more than a lot of the husbands were in the church tonight. Yeah. I had a, uh, one of my grandmothers, she would not even testify in church because she was told women were supposed to be silent. She didn't hear the rest of the story. So she didn't speak in church. That's how she grew up. She didn't hear the rest of the story, you know. So, but it didn't have to do that. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. The very first sentence I want you to look at. Uh, the former trustees I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now right here, we're introduced to, to Luke. And go to Luke, keep your finger, one finger there, and go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and verse 1 through 4. This is our introduction to Luke. Luke was not one of the twelve apostles. We don't know that much about Luke's background. 
All we know is that Luke showed up on the scene. Luke what? Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 1. All right. Luke was a doctor. He traveled with Paul, wrote the book of Acts, wrote the gospel of Luke. But he was a doctor that traveled with Paul, a physician. So he wasn't just anybody. This guy was educated. All right. And look at what it says in verse 1. For as much as many as I've taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most assuredly believed among us, even if they deliver them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding in all things from the very first, to write unto thee in the order most excellent Theophilus. Now, the definition of that name means lover of God. So some, some scholars thought he was actually writing to a person that had that name. Maybe he was. Maybe he was sent by this person to investigate the gospel, to see what this new religion was all about and who this person named Jesus was all about. Maybe that's why Luke got there. However Luke got there, he never left. He stayed right there with Paul to the end. But he wrote the Gospel of Luke, writing it, most excellent Theophilus, writing it to this person, or if he was just writing it to those who love God, because that's what that word means, then he's writing it to all of us. So we don't really know. It's a little mystery that's uh, it's in the Word. It's a little, that's a little mystery to us. We don't know. But uh, I guess when I... Finally meet Mr. Luke, I'm going to ask him, hey man, who's this guy? <laughs> so, that's where we first see that. Now go over to Acts chapter 1. The former trustees, he's talking about the book of Luke. As you can see that, he said the former writings, okay? The first account I made is what he's talking about here. So the former trustees I made, O Theophilus, all that Jesus began to both to do, to teach, unto the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So how many days did Jesus walk the planet after his resurrection? Forty. Forty days. That's right. You know, a lot of people don't know that. Right there. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, Ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Then they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Why do we get the baptism of the Holy Ghost? To be a witness unto Jesus. That's the reason. Okay? Both in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. 
And while they looked steadfast toward heaven, as he went upward, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Does your Bible say two men? Notice your Bible does not say two angels. Notice that. These were angels. But I want you to notice it says two men stood by us in white apparel. Those were angels talking to the people. But they looked like men. What does an angel look like? Oh, they got big giant wings. They're 12 feet tall. They're 100 foot tall. And Well, this right here says they look like men. The Bible also says that we, in our lifetime, have entertained angels unaware. Something to think about. Well, if you saw an angel with big giant wings and he's 14 feet high and he's got a flaming sword, I think you would know that was an angel. But the Bible says you've entertained angels unaware. Well, how could that be? They looked as human as you and me. These were men. They looked as human as you and me. I just, I just wanted to point that out. Okay? The translation, I looked at other translations and it still says men. It didn't change that. Didn't change it. Okay? All right. Which also, ye, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which was taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they into Jerusalem from the Mount called Olive, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. So it's a seven day journey. And when they were come in, they went up to the upper room, and where abode both Peter and James and John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zealots, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplications with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of the names together were about a hundred and twenty. Men and brethren, these scriptures must needs be fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spoke before concerning Judas, which was guided to them that took to Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst of his bowels gushed out. And it was known to all the dwellers of Jerusalem insomuch that the field is called in the proper tongue, and I'm not even going to try it, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, these men which have companioned with us all this time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Now, wait a minute. I thought it was only the twelve disciples hanging out with Jesus all the time. Huh? Have we not all read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? Only talks about the disciples. You only hear talk about the twelve. Look at what he says. There's more than just twelve people hanging out with Jesus. There was actually people there. There was other men there with the twelve apostles that were eyewitness to everything the twelve apostles were eyewitness to. That's why 
he's talking about. The, the, the gospel, the gospel is written so, so close, it's like 20 years after Christ. Mm, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. 20 or 30 years after Christ, so which proves that, that the ones that wrote it like, yeah, they walked with him because they saw the, the things he did. Look what it says here in verse 21. Wherefore, of these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning, beginning from the baptism of John, he's talking about Jesus being baptized in the river. He's talking about Jesus being baptized by John. Unto the same day that he was taken up from us. See? Must obtain must be ordained to be witness with us of his resurrection. You see all that? And they appointed two. So now they're giving us two names. Two men that had been there all the time. Two men that have not been named in any of the Gospels, but yet they were present from the time Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River to the time he ascended up into the heavens. And they appointed two, Joseph, called Barnabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthews. And they prayed and said, The Lord, which knoweth the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. Then he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, for which Judas by transgressions fell, that he might go into his own place, and they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, we're not going to read chapter 2 right now, but I'm going to point something out. What was this casting lots? Kind of like, have you ever maybe participated at some point in your life, uh, the game of who's going to draw the short stick? You know, you get a bunch of sticks, they're all even, but one's short, so who's going to be the one picked is the one who picks the short stick, right? That would, be a, that would be a type of casting lots. What I want to point out to you is that they had not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost yet. They had not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost yet, which was why they decided to cast lots to find out who was going to take Jesus' place. After chapter 2, you'll see in the Holy Ghost Falls, you don't, write, you don't read anywhere else where they went to the Lord and cast lots. They didn't need to. They had God on the inside. Mm -hmm. They had God on the inside. See, the Holy Ghost hadn't hit them yet. Holy Ghost hadn't got in them yet. So they're still on the outside. God's on the outside. There's, the connection ain't there yet. But after the Holy Ghost comes and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit... They no longer need to cast lots. Now they just pray and God's got a, a direct connection to them and can talk to them. I just wanted to point that out. Because this, how many of y'all ever seen that before? Those two things that we just talked about in chapter 1. So there's those little things like that you gotta, you got to see. So this angel says we're out of time. Okay, we're out of time. So we will, we will show Acts chapter 1 uh, video next Next Wednesday, I'm going to tell you I'm excited about Acts because the book of Acts is still being written today. The book of Acts is still being written today. Somebody 
asked me a question. What's the difference between us and the Baptists? And I tried to think of the simplest answer without getting all technical and getting into theology and all that. And I said, and the Lord just, the Holy Spirit just spoke this to me so simple. And I said, well, we believe the book of Acts is still being written today. And the Baptists believe it was all done away with when the last apostle died. That's a simple definition of the difference between us and the Baptists. That we still believe people still get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Jesus still heals today. The nine gifts of the Spirit are still in operation. And they believe it all died with the last apostle. So the book of Acts is still being written today for the church. So the boy I worked with one time, he talked about the Baptist. I said, don't you realize y'all were a full class? And if John the Baptist was a full class. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> and you know, our church name is the only name, is the only name you'll find in the, uh, in the New Testament. You find it in the writings. You don't find the word Methodist. You don't find the word Baptist. You don't. Church of God. That's what it says. Church of God all through it. Which is one of the reasons why our organization chose Church of God. This reason they went that way. So, yes, ma'am. And who, who messes that? Jan. Jan. So they're admitting Josh with a high fever. All right, let's all stand and pray for Josh and get ready to be dismissed. Hey, let's go to protection, Jeff. What are you saying? Going home tomorrow. Going home tomorrow. Well, praise the Lord. Talk about somebody had brain surgery, and now he's going home. <laughs> praise the Lord. That's wonderful news. Information. That's wonderful news. And so let's pray for pray for Josh. Did she say why he had a fever? Father, in the name of Jesus, we speak to that fever. Jesus walked into the room of Peter's mother-in-law, and he spoke to the fever, and he said, Fever, come out in Jesus' name. We command the fever to come out of Josh. Come out, fever. Leave his body right now in the name of Jesus. Now we speak to the root cause of whatever caused that fever, and we command you to leave his body right now. Whatever infection, whatever sickness, whatever it is that's causing the High fever, we command you to leave in Jesus' name as we plead the blood of Jesus over Joshua. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, good stuff. Good stuff here tonight.